Well, good morning, everybody. I'm Dan Carter, one of the elders here, and I'll be leading our time this morning. We appreciate you being patient with us as we go back and forth. Um, as we spoke before, we have different people coming and different men explaining the Word of God and preaching, but it's all God's Word, and it's all God's Word that goes out, and that's all we want to be able to say and proclaim. So we have that unity going forward as we continue our study here in 1 John. I want to set a little introduction, a little picture first, if we could. Let's go back to, to Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 26 and 27. You may be familiar with this. Verse 26 says, And then God said, Let us make mankind in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every crawling thing that crawls on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, and he created them. So that's a great picture. God has created man and woman in his image as image bearers of God. And that was done at a time of perfection, that sixth day of creation. God had created all things. Then he created man in his own image and put man in dominion over all the things he had created over the entire universe. Man was destined to be in dominion out of love and self-control, faithfulness, Man was to rule over the earth. And then we have Adam, Adam and Eve. We have sin. We have chaos. We have being kicked out of the garden, the lack of perfection. So we have brokenness into the world. So now man is not in dominion over everything that's created. Man is under, under dominion. And man feels the pressure of that. He sees the, the pressure of the world system the prince of the age, sinful influences, sinful impulses, we're, we're under the power of other things. So it looks pretty bleak. And then we see the next part of the story. Jesus comes and renews that hope. Jesus comes as a redeemer who re re draw, to draw us back to glory, to set us free from the world. Jesus' victory in death over sin is counted to us. So it's our victory now. So we do have that victory over sin. There's still a brokenness in the world, but Jesus came to conquer death, to conquer sin, and to be able to allow that victory to be ours so that we can get back to that dominion as God created and intended. Now that is not here yet, it's to come. And that's what we're looking at today. In John's day here, 40 years plus after Jesus left, John is teaching in, in, in the area, and he's writing to these churches, his little children. He's, he's trying to teach them. And we already see false teachers in the world. It's not been but 40-something years, and there's already false teachers who have a different understanding of the gospel. Or for whatever reason, they want to supplant the truth with what they have. So we know about the Gnostics. We know about the different, different levels of false teaching. We talked about that in our introduction to, the, to this study, that these false teachers were here and that John was fighting against them going forward. So today, John sets us up with a great message. We also said that John didn't write his letters as a theological document. It's not a, you can't outline it, one, two, three, A, B, C, Going along, John writes it as a letter to his little children, and he weaves the theme of God is light, God is love, and 
that, that God cares for, these, for his children and that he, he, he comes back to these themes and he says, you know, sin and life in Christ are two different things. And we talked about, and we saw that last week at Timothy's message. We saw last week where these things just can't coexist. And so John runs these topics and we go back and forth. But today we take a little step aside and John's going to encourage his children. This, this should be a great message. You should walk out of here transformed, hopefully, but, but thrilled with a thought if you haven't thought of these things first. We're going to see today, number one, who we are. We're going to see number two, who we will be. And then we'll also see like a little short of, of who we're not, who we aren't. Okay, so if you will stand for the reading of God's Word, we're going to read today's selection of where we are in 1 John. If you're looking at a pew Bible, I think it's page 1,122. If you're looking in your Bible, it's 1 John chapter 2. It'll start on verse 28, and we're going to read through chapter 3, verse 10. So God says, Now little children, remain in him that when he appears... We may have confidence and not draw back from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness also has been born of him. See how great, the, how great a love the Father has given us that we will be called children of God. And in fact, we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope set on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sin, and in him there is no sin. No one who remains in him sins continually. No one who sins continually has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who has been born of God practices sin because his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin continually because he has been born of God. But this, the children of God and the children of the devil are, by this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not produce or does not practice righteousness is not of God and nor the one who does not love his brother and sister. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you open our hearts, open our, open our minds to let us see you through your word as you speak to us today. We pray that your, your spirit inhabits all of us here today and everyone who hears this message, that we pray that that our hearts are open and expectant today, that we've come with clean hands and clean hearts. We've taken time to, to recognize sin in our life, to repent of it and be forgiven so that we can come and hear your word spoken to us today. 
This morning, Father, I pray that you just move me aside and you let my, you let my words go out, but we make sure that your words are the ones that, that reach the hearts of the people today. So, Father, we pray that, that, that you are faithful to your word and that you, you want us to hear you today. And so, Father, we rely on that. We rely on that strength that we're given to, to be able to listen to you and to hear you and to draw closer to you. And we thank you for this great message this morning. We pray that we are transformed by it. We pray that we are different when we leave this building than when we came in today. And, Father, all these things we pray and ask in your son Jesus, his holy and precious name. Amen. You can be seated. So number one, we're going to look at in verses, chapter 28, verses, or chapter 2, verse 28 through chapter 3, verse 1, who we are. Who are we? We're sons and daughters of the living God. We've been adopted into his family. We are called to abide in him, to rest in him. And that's been a common theme through the epistles of John, to abide in God, to rest in God, to, to, to take focus in that. We've seen that last week. We've seen that the weeks before. We are to abide in God. So this continuing focus, this continuing abiding is, is basically, it's for us, it's a proper confession of Jesus Christ as the Son of God who came to die for the world. We continue to acknowledge that Jesus is the incarnate Son and that's what John is getting to because of the Gnostics and, and because of the false teachers of his time were trying to say that Jesus was not God or Jesus was not the Son of God. And so he has to fight against that. So he's talking about abide in the truth that you have. But here in verse 28, when we're talking about resting in God and abiding in God, it's shifting to a, a personal relationship with, with your Savior and an ongoing relationship with God. So in other words... Walk with Jesus so that you can live and be more like Jesus. Rest in him, abide in him, be like him going forward. So all this taken together, we see the biblical pattern. First, we abide in the truth of Jesus, who he is. We trust in his atoning work on the cross. Then we confess that. We confess our sins. We confess him to be Lord and Savior, and we're given a new nature. We're born again. We're given a new nature and taking in, taken into his family. And then we abide in him, which basically is enjoying a daily relationship, that personal relationship of walking with Christ and abiding in that, staying in that relationship, drawing on him for our strength, living out the newness of the life that he's given us. So remember the order. Belief new birth, and then righteous living. That's what we're called to. That's what John is reminding his people just 40 years after Christ. And then 2,000 some years later, we have that same pattern. We have a belief in new birth and then righteous living. So what does that get us? What do we get out of that? Well, as we see in this passage, we have a confidence in Christ's coming. Um, Christ's return is like, it's a big event. And John, John uses the language as like, like a king is coming or an emperor is returning or, or a great, great dignitary is coming. And when, when something like that happens to an area or a people, you make preparations. You're prepared. You're ready. It's, it's a big event, the returning, the coming of the king. So you make preparations. You're, you're aware of that. You do things ahead of time. So you want to be confident and not ashamed. You, want to be, you don't want to be taken taken off guard. And so John is reminding us here, we can be confident. 
when Jesus returns in where we are, we can, be ashamed, we can be confident and not ashamed. But being, being humans in a broken world, it's sometimes easier to feel our guilt. What do we see when we look at our life? Sometimes we look and we see our, our, our shortcomings. We look, even as believers, we look and we see, ah, I could have done more. I could have done that. I could have kept, I could have kept that to myself. I could have done this. It's easier to remember those things that, that fall apart on us. Um, our life is sometimes just littered with sin and even the sins of omission, the sins of commission, the things we could have done more of, we see those things and we, we focus on that. And so sometimes we think about the coming of Christ and we're thinking about, oh, all the things we've done, but we're not children of our own merit. We didn't earn our salvation. We didn't do anything for our salvation. So it was all a gift of God. It was the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and his righteousness put upon us. So when he returns, he's not looking on our righteousness. He's looking on his own righteousness. But we're called to live that way. We're called to be like him. We're called to live that out. So John says we can be confident if we're abiding in Christ. We can be confident when he returns that we're going to hold on to our original confession of Christ as king. Christ as king is our life, and we want to hold on to that. We're going to trust that ongoing relationship going forward. If Jesus was coming back just as a returning king or a conqueror, then, then yes, he could be looking at us for just for allegiance, just for our obedience. But Jesus is coming back. He's returning as our savior. He's returning as our brother. He's returning as the champion of our souls. He's a redeemer. He's the gracious husband of the church that he's laid down his life for. So Jesus is not coming back just to conquer. Jesus is coming back to gather his children together, to gather his people together. So Jesus is gracious and merciful. He delights when we abide in him, and he's pleased to continue, for us to continue to believe, continue to work in him, to believe in his work on the cross and have that personal relationship with Christ. And that's what we're called to do. And if we'll do that, we won't be ashamed when he returns. Some people will. There's going to be shame when Christ comes back. There's going to be a disbelief, first of all. There's an apostate denial of Christ himself. And people are going to be taken aback like, wow. So Jesus is real. They're not going to admit it themselves. We know that they don't have excuse. The Bible's pretty clear on the fact that God makes himself known to everybody. And they don't have an excuse of saying, oh, I didn't know there was a God. But they were going to know. But there's going to be a group of people when Christ returns that are, that are going to be, they're going to still be in denial. And they're going, to, they're going to be that group. And they will be ashamed when he returns. They're going to be people who have a lack of a personal relationship with Christ. They're saved maybe. They're not working. They don't have a relationship. They don't, they don't, they don't abide in Christ. Um, people in an ongoing disobedience that are living in lawlessness or a, a season of sin just living in that there's going to be reasons and different levels of shame when Christ comes back but John is telling us as children of God we don't have to feel that shame because we're his children get a picture of that it 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 just hit me all week and we need to take that picture we use those words a lot we're the children of God God is our father what does that really mean? Think about that. This is the God of the universe, a holy, perfect God who didn't need us, wanted fellowship with us, created us. Our sin separated us from him. 
He created a way and a path so that we could be reunited with Him through His Son to be redeemed. But that would have been enough. That would have been more than enough if He had just redeemed us, just saved us from our sin. But he did, he, His love goes so far beyond that. He's made us His children. He's adopted us into His family. And we're going to be, well, we'll get to that point, what we're going to be like. But we are His children joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We're the children of God. That's an amazing thing. We can't just let that be words. We can't let that just come and go. We have to be amazed at that and live like that. That's what, that's what we're all about. So John is very optimistic for our purposes, saying live in righteousness because you will. If you're converted and you're born of Christ and you know Christ, then the natural outflowing of that is to live a righteous life. Um, your righteousness is, is not a condition for rebirth. You don't have to be righteous to come and be saved, but it's an outflowing consequence of that. Once you are saved is you become that righteousness. We inherit that. You people don't know my parents. <laughs> They're in Memphis, Tennessee. There are ways they've, they've been here, but you, you don't know my parents, so you don't understand how much of what I, what I am today I've gotten from them just through genetics and through just manner of speech, through upbringing, through, my, through the upbringing. I have mannerisms that belong to them. I have physical things. I look like my mother. Well, take it back. <laughs> I favor my mother. She probably wouldn't like to know that we, we don't look alike. My mother doesn't look like this. Take that back. We, I favor my mother. <laughs> Sorry. But we, 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 we do that. We understand that concept of our parents and our family. We inherit things from this genetically and just, you know, just mannerisms and, and who you live with and who you take on. You're going forward. We're children of God. We're God's children created in his image. We need to live that way. We, it won't change whether we are or not. We are, as believers, children of God, and we take on genetically, if you will, the, the same thing. God is righteous and holy. We are to take on holiness and righteousness. In that same way, it's passed on to us. So John is not surprised that from generation to generation as it's passed along, the children of God can live as righteousness and practice righteousness because their Father in heaven is righteous. So that's what John is getting at. We have that ability. So when Jesus comes, we're not going to be ashamed. We're going to be living righteous. We're going to be living in his life. Uh, so the magnitude of God's love is what we're getting at. In verse 3, uh, verse 1 of chapter 3, see how great a love the Father has given us that we would be called the children of God, and in fact, we are. This is John. He's an experienced believer. John's mature. He's aged. He's going along, and he's still excited that he's a child of God. They call us children of God, and we are, is what he's saying. So John is, John was probably more experienced in God, having walked with Jesus, having been used by God, breathed through him to write scripture. And God is still, John is still overwhelmed by the fact that God's love was so great that he drew us into his family after saving us. So we need to live that way. Um, 
you often hear the case and, and, and when you're around believers long enough and you're around people, you'll have somebody come up to you and you can just tell they've got some kind of, they're bubbling up, they're excited, they've got something new they need to tell you and they come up and say, I need to share with you. I need to tell you what's going on in my life. I need to tell you what God is teaching me, you know, what God has been showing me. And you see this excitement come up and so you get to wondering, well, what, has God revealed the author of Hebrews to them? <laughs> You know, are they, have they memorized the whole book of Romans and they're so excited about wanting to get, these are great concepts, great, great things they could do. And they get, then God is just teach me. You should, you should, you, through my reading, through my quiet time, you know what God is teaching me. Like, what, what has he revealed to you? And just, he's teaching, he's just, God is showing me how much he loves me. And it's true. The magnitude of God's love is, is unsearchable. And we should be that way. We should, have that, we should have that feeling going forward. It's that biggest thing. It's the truth. And it's the biggest truth and the best truth. But sometimes we just, we forget. The enemy of our soul just wants us to forget that, wants us to see the negative side, wants us to see our shortcomings and not the fact that God loves us that much, not because of anything we've done, not of any merit of our own, before there was time, he chose to love me that much, no matter what, and it's of no merit. So we should live that way, we should be excited. Um, John is telling his people that that's what's gonna happen. But we have a good, good father. He's not gonna shame us, there's no discouragement, there's no abuse, there's no tears. It's the best version of a father you can ever imagine. And we're his children because he's brought us in. In the old days, um, in an agricultural or non-industrial society, basically 97, 98% of the children in a household grew up and did what the parents were doing. They didn't leave. They, they followed in the same profession. They, when the father was this, the son grew up and was that. And that's, what, that's the way it was. So a sonship was a little differently looked upon. We're, we live in an industrial age today, and we live in, a, in an area of, of all kinds of education and teaching. So in the United States, it's probably flipped the other way around. I would imagine 97, 98% of the people, children, go off and do something different than their parents did. There, it's not a rebellion, it's just the opportunity is there. And they look and they go and they want to be something and they go forward. So they, they, we've lost that as a culture. We've lost that family growth and that family development by empowering our children to be what they can be. It's not a bad thing, but we lose that concept. So we lose this concept of being the, the son of God going forward. So we need to get that back. God delights in us. We're his creation, we're his children, and he's called us to this. And the thing about that is we need to realize that we're, because who we are, that we're God's children, we are not compatible with the world, okay? As God's children, we are not, we don't fit in the world, and that's okay. That's actually a good thing. The desires of the flesh, we've talked about that. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, all these things are not of the Father and they're not of us as believers, okay? So the fact that we don't get the approval of the world is not something to be feared, it's to be desired not to fit into the world, not to, have the, not to, be, not to be accepted by the world like that. We 
are who we are. We are God's children. But who are we going to become? If we're God's children now, who are we going to become? In verses three and in verses two through six, we're going to see that we're going to become like Christ. We're going to become more Christ-like. Beloved, now that now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope set on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who practices sin also also practices lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. No one who remains in him sins, sins continually. No one who sins continually has seen him or knows him. Did you hear that? We're going to be like him when we see him. Okay, we're called to be Christ-like now, but we have this, this veil, we have this sin in this broken world. But when Jesus comes back, we're going to be like him. We're going to be Christ-like. We talk about the need to be more Christ-like. We talk about God's command, and we, we use the words really well, but sometimes we don't necessarily look at what does it mean to be Christ. It means to be holy, to be pure, and that's what we're called to be. So, John, John has this logic and it goes forward. If believers are born into God's family, then it makes sense that our full transformation is going to make us like God's son. So as God's children, we will one day be like the son of God. So as we talked about in the introduction, that God has given that dominion in the sixth day of creation, dominion was given by God, and we were told to be fruitful to be good stewards of that. And that's what we're called to be. That's what we will be when, we, when we're finished, when our sanctification is done here on earth, either when we pass away or when Jesus returns while we're still alive and that glorification happens. And that's what we're talking about. When we are made like him, when our work is finished, when we're sanctified, when we're glorified, then God is gonna be able to restore that perfect the perfect relationships that he had set up at creation in the garden. So we will have dominion over the world again. And as faithful good stewards, we will take care of it. Sin robbed us of this. And sin has kept us from being who God intended us in creation. But at the cross, Jesus came. He redeemed us. He's brought us back to glory because he broke the words, works of the cross. Okay, so Romans 8.29 says, For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. But how does this happen? How does this come about? How are we conformed to his image? What does that mean? In Genesis, we were made in God's image, and we're going to be like Christ. But that doesn't mean we're going to be God. We are in God's image, and we're going to be Christ-like. But we're not, we're not going to become saviors. We're not going to become God. Um, we're not infinite. We're not going to become all-knowing. We're not going to be omnipotent. But God created us and put us in dominion over all things. We named the animals. We stewarded the world. We subdued the earth. And that's what it's going to be like again. When Jesus returns, we're going to see him. 
and we'll see him, him return in, in triumph and in glory. But we're not going to become saviors. We're not going to become deity, but, we're, but his character, Jesus' character, his nature, his goodness, his holiness, those will become our nature when we're completed, when we're glorified. We will have the nature of Christ and take on his glory. We know that our justification was instant at salvation and our sanctification is an ongoing process. And at some point, our glorification is going to be made complete and we're going to be like him. So we're not perfect now and we're not saying that we're called to live in the righteousness of Christ, but we know that it's only the righteousness of Christ that God can look on us and love us and call us his children. So we know that that's put upon us, but we know that one day that's going to be gone. And we know that one day we talk about it in the senior adult Bible studies. We tend to talk about it probably more, but one day all that pain and frailty is going to be gone. One day our human, our human side will, the, the brokenness will be done. Um, that lack of faith that we have, our imperfections, they're all going to be gone and we're going to forever be like Christ because of his righteousness and because of him. His victory will be our victory. So we'll still be ourselves. We'll be recognizable. We'll be the personalities that God has given us. We're, we are who we are and we're being, characterized, we're being built in character going forward. For, you, <laughs> for eternity, we'll be this way, but we'll be perfect in Christ. So one day you're going to be able to see, I don't know what it's going to be like. What is a glorified, what is a glorified version of Dan Carter look like? It's hard to say, but it's going to be good because it's going to be God. It's going to be his, his going. So body and mind, heart and soul, I am a child of God and forever will be. And God is going to perfect that and glorify that going forward. So don't let your present condition, how you are now, don't let that dictate how you view eternity. We have eternity in heaven. We have that to look forward to. That should be exciting. It should be good. There shouldn't be so much worry. Going on. There's a lot of heart, heartache. There's a lot of hard things that go on in the world. We're not perfect. We sin. We break, that, we break that communion with God a lot. But John is calling us here to be confident in who we are and who we're going to become read this, take this in. We're going to become Christ-like. We're going to become, be glorified and live. How can you, how can you live in heaven with sin and, and imperfections in your life? It doesn't happen. So those imperfections and that sin is going to be gone so that we can live in heaven. Um, the second part of this, verse two, we see Jesus coming in his glory and that's going to change us, okay? His coming, his second coming will mark our final transformation. We're being transformed each day in our sanctification as we grow closer. Hopefully we're moving forward each day to be more Christ-like, to know God, to draw closer to him, to be able to put these things into practice. But we're going to have that final transformation going forward and we're going to be glorified through that final transformation so that we can look on Christ who is perfect. Okay? So to be able to see him, we're going to be transformed. So there's that confidence right here. He says, when he comes back, we will see him. So we're going to need to be, we're going to need to be transformed. We can't look on Christ in the way we are now, but we can see him clearly when he comes back. So if Christ is going to take us into this glorification, then seeing, seeing him as he comes back is going to transform us into glory. What will seeing him now do for us? 
it can lead, it can lead us in our sanctification, okay? We can be changed completely and move forward as we spend time with him. We need to keep in the word. We need to keep communicating in prayer. We need to seek God and be transformed by the spirit even today to take those processes, move forward, to go forward. What, what good is that for us? What are we gonna get out of that? In verses three through six, we see that glorification tomorrow is not gonna lead us into rebellion today. Jesus' mission as he came to earth was to destroy sin. So in Jesus, there is no sin. His whole nature is void of sin. So we need to build that relationship. How can we build a relationship and have an ongoing walking relationship with Jesus who has no sin, who came to destroy sin, and then go about our business and sin continually? We can't. Those two just don't go together. Practicing sin is practicing lawlessness. And as children and believers, joint heirs with Christ, we don't have that in us. We do sin, it's made clear, but we need to admit that sin. Let God's light shine on that sin. We need to confess it. When we do, we're faithful to be forgiven, go forward. Lawlessness is more than just a struggle with sin that we have. That's turning away from God. That's not listening to God's sin, not listening to God's authority. So if we're looking to be one day like Christ, we need to be like Christ today. We need to move forward. Um, we've, we're, we're, we're going to be his children, and so we need to live that way. We need to be pure like Christ. We're called to holiness. We need to be pure like Christ. When a non-believer sins, they're sinning against their creator. And when we sin, we're sinning against a loving father. Okay? They sin against the law, and we sin against love. Okay? Let that soak in. They can't help that. They're sinning against the law and just a creator. We're sinning against a loving father who called us to be his children. So that needs to be where we look at our, where we look at our life. How, do we, how are we called to be holy? What does it look like? We're called to be holy like God is holy. We're called to, to start that sanctification going forward. One day we'll be made that way, but we need to start that transformation now to live that way, to have that so that we're not ashamed when Jesus comes back. What does that look like? Rid yourself of untrue speech. Be a beacon of the truth in a changing and unfaithful world. Rid yourself of anger. Okay, unrighteous anger is not necessary. Rid yourself of laziness. Be a hardworking people. Proverbs teaches that lazy people irritate their bosses the way vinegar, vinegar to your teeth or smoke in your eyes. Okay, rid yourself of corrupting speech. Be encouraging, be edifying. Rid yourself of bitterness, wrath, and slander. Think of that, Bitter, the bitterness, wrath, slander, all that anger that, that you have for somebody else. I read this week that it sounds like, it's like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Think about it. Bitterness, wrath, and slander is like drinking the poison yourself and waiting for the other person to die. It doesn't do anything to them. It, it takes it out of you, okay? All these things were called to be holy. Those are good examples of how to be holy, and they're not my list. This is God's list. It comes from Ephesians chapter 4. Paul wrote it down for you. So, these are things we need to be, be doing to become like God, to be glorified in that. But who are we not today? We're not God's enemy, okay? The false teachers tried to teach, tried to teach people that, that it didn't matter, that false teachers were teaching that 
Righteousness was not something you needed to worry about. Righteous, unrighteous, it didn't matter. They just bring in falseness here. The devil tries to do that. The devil's been sinning since his rebellion. That's all he can do. He can lie and cheat and steal and try to, try to, try to corrupt believers. So our righteousness is fought against by the devil who provides all these opportunities for us. As we turn away from God, he provides that opportunity, but that's not gonna work. Jesus came to destroy the devil's work. And so by Christ and by his work, by the Holy Spirit, we can live righteously as we're called to. There's two sides, basically. You're a child of God or you're a child of the devil, okay? If we are children of God, as, as believers, we're children of God. That's where we are. We need to practice righteousness, and this leads us to love for our brothers, which we're going to get into next week. But if you don't have a burning desire today to be righteous, if you don't have a burning desire to be holy, if you're not feeling a move to, I need to be more Christ-like, I need to be more desire, it might be time to question your salvation. Okay? God has created in us his righteousness, and he's called us to do that. And if we're not, we don't have that desire to do that, we need to ask why. Okay? We need to ask why. And if you're here today and you've never had a desire to be righteous, you've, you don't know Christ, you don't know who he is, then come and see us. We can explain that to you. Okay? The gospel message is free and clear, and it's, it's easy to do. It's nothing you have to do. It's not of your own merit. It's not of your own, own inkling. But we need, that needs to be brought up, that we're talking today. John's message is to his little children, to believers. But we understand that not everybody we speak to, not everybody that hears your voice is a believer. So there is a way. There's a very clear way through a path and a, and a, and a belief in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior who has come, that you are a sinner, that you need saving, and that Jesus is that Savior that can provide that Savior to us. So see us after, after the service or, or during the week. Contact somebody in the office. Fill out a card. Whatever you need to do, we can talk to you. We'd be glad to talk to you and, and go forward. But there's a, a reason that you're not, maybe not feeling that burning desire to be holy. And if you are, you need to not push that down. You need to be holy for God is holy. That's where we are. We're God's children. One day we're going to be glorified like Christ. We're going to be perfected into where God had us in the beginning. We're going to have dominion over the world. We're going to live the way God intended us to live. It's got to excite you. I'm sorry. It's just got to excite you. You are God's children, joint heirs with Christ of a living and, and holy God. And if it doesn't excite you, you need to think about that a little bit. We need to ask God as an application for today. I'd like you to ask God to show you areas of your current life that you might be ashamed of when Christ returns. You know, we have those things. We try to, we try to do that. We do a corporate time of, of, of confession of our sin. But sometimes we don't look really deep. But ask the Father this week to, to gently remind you of those areas that you've tucked away that you just don't want to address, you don't want to admit. Ask God to find those areas that you might be ashamed of when Christ returns and repent of them, get rid of them. Be confident that you're going to be happy when he returns. Ask God to show you just how much he loves you, okay? Open your eyes to this wonder. Maybe you're dulled from a life of being beat down. Maybe you're just dulled of, of age or whatever reason, but rekindle that first love. Think about that a little bit. Get back to that very first love. When God first revealed himself to you, that moment of salvation, 
when you realized just who you were, but just who God was. That first love to get back to, ask God to show you that again. Ask God to show you that we've got eternity to live together as his children. Ask God to bring that to you. Allow God to transform you as you approach this holiness. As you look for purity in your life, you look for ways to be pure, do that. And consider your sins of omission. Don't just worry about what you've done. Let's start to focus a little bit this week on the things you've not done, those, those sins of, of omission, and then revel in who you are and who you're gonna become for eternity. We're gonna be together for eternity. And we're going to be perfect. We're going to be brought back together. So enjoy that now. Start the process now. Don't wait. John is calling his children to be, be confident. Be confident in who you are. Be confident in who you're called to be. Go forth. And that just spills out. When, we're, when we live that way, it just spills out to other people. It spills out to love for the brothers. It spills out to love for the world. And that's where we need to be going forward. Let's pray. Father, I do ask that you just reveal to us this week just how much you love us. Make it so evident in our life that we're just bowed down to you in thanks and praise. Father, help us to want to be more holy, to want to be pure, to want to be Christ-like because you've drawn us into your children and we can be your son like Jesus Christ. Father, we're not going to become God but we're going to take on that nature. We're going to be perfected finally in heaven. You're going to finish your work in us and we'll be glorified one day. Help us to join you in that work this week and this day. Help us to focus and, Father, to, to revel in the fact that you've made us your children and that you're going to make us Christ-like as we go forward. All these things we pray and ask in your son Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.